podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Now, Simon, we've had two days of the Super 12s in the World T20. I defy anybody who saw that India-Pakistan game or heard about it to claim that cricket is boring. How could you say that a sport is boring or uninteresting or slow or undramatic? I mean, it had more drama than three Shakespeare plays. I mean, it was incredible. Wasn't it? I mean, what an absolutely brilliant opening weekend. Three sort of iffy games, the hosts getting hammered by New Zealand, which, I mean, is a lovely victory for the Tasman area, isn't it? Because the New Zealanders hate the Australians and Australia kind of sort of treat the New Zealanders as they look down their nose at them a bit. Then obviously England pouncing on Afghanistan, but actually not doing a great job in the end, but obviously winning comfortably, and Sri Lanka knocking Ireland for six. So three not very good games in a way, and then one absolutely titanic encounter, which totally lived up to the billing in front of 90,000 people in the MCG. Wow. Yeah, all the planets aligned, didn't they? Today in in, in Melbourne, you say a massive crowd, everyone watching, and the game... (laughs) So it didn't disappoint. I mean, an incredible game of, of T20 cricket. It sort of felt as if it had just about everything, really. Lots of talking points, some some wonderful cricket, some remarkable drama and a, a, an absolutely stunning last over. That you know, All sorts going on in that last over. And at the end of it, I sort of ended up thinking, how on earth did India win that game? They were 31 for four. They needed 48 off three overs. They needed 15 off four balls and Ashwin so nonchalantly hitting the winning run when scores were level off the, the final ball. It's stunning game of cricket. And actually, I think when you get a team in those sorts of conditions, where well, there is a bit in it for the bowlers, isn't it? They get around the 160 mark in a T20 match, 160, 170. You often have the potential for quite a tight game. But if the side gets too few, like Afghanistan did on Saturday, or too many, like New Zealand did against Australia, then it becomes a bit one-sided in, in the second innings. But this, this had a sort of perfect balance to it and fantastic. You have, you have to feel a bit sorry for Pakistan, I think. I mean, they, they must be absolutely sort of gut-wrenchingly distressed at losing that match, and their supporters will feel like that as well, because you felt they had the game won, and then somehow India, as they often do in World Cups, sort of wrenched it away from them. Lots of great talking points, one of which is that T20 has often been labelled as a format of the game where you kind of can't get back into a game. Once you've had a bad couple of overs or you've lost a few early wickets, it's hard to resurrect yourself because you haven't got the time. Well, in both innings of this India-Pakistan game, early wickets fell. They fell well behind the eight ball, but they picked up and managed to get back on track. I mean, I I was amazed that Pakistan got to 160 in the end, and you sort of thought, how the hell did they, 159? How how did they get that many? Because their their innings really sort of frittered and sort of pottered along and wasn't really very effective, but somehow they got a, a reasonably defendable score. Then India 
losing all those early wickets. And their batting, I thought, was unbelievably tentative early on, which in a way shows the the enormity of the India-Pakistan duel, doesn't it? That the players, you know, even tremendously seasoned, experienced players like Rohit Sharma, looking a shadow of themselves, poking kind of indeterminately at the ball, and India really losing their way with the bat and totally out of it. And then King Kohli managing to wrestle the initiative back. Absolutely incredible. Off the top of my head, I'm just trying to think, would India and Pakistan have played in front of a crowd of 90,000 before? I mean, they've played against... Calcutta, Eden Gardens, maybe? Yeah, yeah, possibly. Possibly. In the the old days, you could get 100,000 in, couldn't you, in in Eden Gardens? But it it felt like a unique modern occasion, really, because they don't play each other very often. And you have this huge, feverish crowd, tremendous support. I mean, it looked to me as if, you know, India supporters outnumbered the Pakistan supporters, but, you know, tremendous uh, racket inside the ground and, and... enthusiasm for just about everything that was happening and a, a game that was just so tight for you know for, for a long time you know in in both innings actually you, you, you okay you thought India were on top and Pakistan were batting and then you thought Pakistan were on top but you there was always that you know even when India were four down there was you know there was still Kohli and Hardik Pandya and we've seen them in the IPL especially you know someone like Pandya who didn't actually have a great day ultimately today in, in a way he he sort of got a bit stuck but Kohli played a uh, one of one of his great innings, really, in in short form cricket. I think he actually said it was his best T Twenty innings. I do remember him. He mentioned it in the post match uh, interview. He, the innings he played against Australia in, in Mahali, stunning when he was opening his opening the face and hitting the ball square with the wicket through the offside. One wonderful innings to win India the match that day. And this was something uh, well equally as good, if not better. I mean that shot he played off Harris Rauf with twenty eight needed off eight balls, where he hit him off the back foot. Over long on for six, uh, stunning, absolutely, absolutely. stunning. Blow. It was it was an inhumane shot. It was <laughs> a superhuman shot. It mm. was ridiculous because this is a guy, Harris Ralph, outstanding fast bowler, back of the length, a bit of extra bounce in the Melbourne pitch, and zipping up to sort of waist high, maybe a bit higher, and he somehow managed to give himself just a little bit of room and leverage the ball back over the bowler's head, shorter straight boundaries mm. at the MCG cannoning into the sight screen absolutely extraordinary shot and the thing about that shot is not only did it suddenly make the equation a little bit better for India but also it just knocks a bowler's to six it's like a blow to the solar plexus when you you've already had a big hand in the game Harris Ralph two good wickets you're a dependable guy coming towards the end of the innings to bowl and suddenly your best ball is bunted for six you sort of almost think where can I bowl? And I think he slipped up with that last ball, which still was an incredible shot, pick up over square leg, but it was sort of angling into the leg stump. It could have been a slower ball. It could have been back of the length again. There was a lack of real precision, precise thinking with that last ball. Coley hit it for six, fantastic pick up. And, and then suddenly, you know, the other thing, of course, was that Pakistan had to gamble and, and keep that, spare over bowled by Mohamed Nawaz till last and he'd already gone for you know eight nine and over ten and over I think in his previous three overs left arm spinner and normally you try and get that sort of spare over in in the sort of 15th over so that you've got your bankers bowling those last three or four overs at the death but uh, Baba was sort of gambling and thinking well maybe we won't need that final over because if my best bowlers get Kohli and Hardik Pandya out, then India's momentum is 
is lost and if we do have to bowl that last over with a left arm spinner then the lesser batsman will be in and he'll be able to defend 20 runs or 25 runs or whatever mm. but the gamble went horribly wrong yeah it, it did I mean I, I was sitting there watching it and with 28 needed off eight balls I thought Harris Rauf can actually concede two fours here and still leave Mohamed Nawaz with 20 to defend off the last over and, and that isn't too bad a, a, a result you, you think you know, Coley two fours and let's see what you've got and then bang bang six two sixes and then suddenly you know it was on wasn't it uh, yeah it was interesting I, I mean the, one of the things about bowling at the MCG and, and you, you saw Harry Fryer bang it in didn't he for that, that final ball and, and normally that's okay fine leg was back deep square was back deep midwicket was back so he had that protection for the short ball but you're right it was the angle wasn't it so he probably needed it to get it sort of outside his, his right eye rather than outside his left eye as he did or so take the pace off you know, slow ball. or take I mean, the pace off yeah you know, and they did done that quite well was, you know the, yeah, that, the, the great thing about these yeah. Australian grounds and we had said this in our preview is that they are bigger than most grounds in the world and it actually does mean that bowlers have got more options and the fuller option at Melbourne is a less you know yeah. Yorkers and half volleys and things is probably not as good an option as back of the length because the square boundaries are big and we've seen in you know several of these uh, early games in the tournament that people are getting caught at deep square leg the agility of fielding sides is really important because you're going to get chances throwing up, you know, skying up in the air, deep square leg, deep cover. So those fielders are really important. But it gives the bowlers another option rather than bowling on those post-stamped grounds in India or the UAE where it doesn't matter where you bowl, it keeps disappearing over the ropes. Yeah. I mean, Cody knew it was going to be short, didn't he? So, uh, and, and it felt like the right option, actually. So a slower short ball into the pitch outside the line of his right eye would have been the perfect delivery but you've got 90,000 people sort of roaring away you can't, you just can't hit, hear yourself think exactly yeah Cody's just hit one of the shots of the well not just of this tournament one of the one of the great sort of one day shots really over over long on and and Harris Ralph is you know generally a very good bowler and and had bowled well uh you know disappeared over fine leg for six it was yeah in in angled in and Coley knew it was going to be short because it sort of had to be with the field and what just happened and hit it over fine leg for six but that still gave us yours that still gave us 16 to win off the final over and then Hardik's out off the first ball Kartik comes in gets a single Coley gets two down the ground so it's suddenly 13 off three balls to win the game yeah and then what happens Mohamed Nawaz bowls a full toss that's just above waist height that Coley launches out to deep mid-wicket. The fielder there leaps in the air. Some fielders would have been able to bat it back inside the rope, but the fielder... I, I missed. I didn't see who the fielder was, actually. I couldn't t tell just from watching it. Anyway, it went... Deflected off his hand and went for six. So, no ball. It's gone for six and a free hit. And suddenly, the game has completely turned around. Now, did you think it was definitely a free hit? Did you think it was definitely above waist height? Well, it's a really good question, and I suppose it goes back to the law itself, doesn't it? Which has become a bit of a joke, because that overweight high law was really brought in to avoid dangerous bowling beamers from fast bowlers, and understandably outlawing them and penalising the bowling side. But when you get a guy who's bowling spin, even if he's bowling his flat, sort of quicker ball at 60 miles an hour, it's hardly life-threatening if it's waist high and so I think it's unfair to make those free hits actually but anyway the, the rule is that the law is as it is uh, it 
probably was just over waist high, mm. only just. I mean, literally a matter of a couple of centimetres. Yeah. It was a really tight call, but wasn't it? It was a very tight call. And he got away with one earlier, yeah, in the year, he didn't he, against yeah. Kartik. Perhaps, perhaps because, I don't know, well, of course, it's got to be judged against the batsman mm. at the wicket. And Kartik is much smaller. And maybe that one was over waist high as well, mm. but he got away with it. I don't know, maybe the umpires, it was Marais Erasmus at square mm. leg who had to adjudicate, plus they got the cameras mm. to, to back them up. It was marginal, but I guess it was it was sort of meant to be in this particular game. Yeah, Marais Erasmus, of course, who gave Barbara Zam out first ball. You know, get the, the, old, the old finger up, first ball on your, on your way. Barbara Zam's first ball, that was a big you know, big moment that much earlier in the day. Because it, it, what happened afterwards sort of superseded those events, really. And it was the right decision, then it was reviewed and it was shown to be fine. But, you know, it, it's that the umpires making those big calls, decisive calls and, and getting them right. And, yeah, you, I think you could probably say it was fractionally above waist height. Cricket can sometimes be such a harsh such a cruel game and it is about uh, fine margins it it really is okay but then <laughs> once that happened we then had a wide and then I, I don't think I've ever seen this happen before with the free hit the ball hit the stumps because Coley was bowled from the free hit so he's not out but it deflects it deflects down to deep third for three buys I mean and, and you're sort of you thinking hold a second is that is that not dead ball if the ball it's the stumps you think, well it can't be because if the ball's hit out towards deep mid wicket and the catch is taken you know the ball is still live and they can run because it's not out and so they've got to get the ball into the wicket keeper or the or the non-striker so the logic should be that if the ball hits the stumps that's not dead ball as well as it you know it, it, it normally would be and you know and you see just sort of bizarre things happening in that final over and you thought oh that's yeah, it and no, I, I, it's exactly the same as the 2019 World Cup, isn't it? Where something totally unexpected like Stokes diving in and the ball ricocheting off his bat for four. Same kind of thing. We have the same commentator <laughs> on as well, don't we? Ian Smith. He seems to have a kind of magnetic attraction to these ridiculously tense final uh, overs. And um, the other bizarre thing about that moment was that the wicketkeeper was actually standing back, even yeah. though it was a spinner on. Yeah. Very wisely, Mohamed Rizwan was standing like a sort of club position, like th club third 11 to a to a sort of slow medium bowler or in a school match, you know, where the, the wicketkeeper is never quite sure whether to stand up or stand back. So he goes halfway house and he was about, I don't know, five, six yards back and still the ball managed to avoid him off the stumps mm. and go wide of the third man. So it sort of bisected the, uh, the, the, the wicketkeeper stood back and the short third man fielder and trickled away towards the boundary. I mean, absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. And Pakistan were probably thinking like a lot of people, hold on a second, is that not dead ball if you're, if you're bold? You know, can you actually run? But yeah, obviously you can. And there was Rod Tucker signalling by. So then you think that's game over. And two needed off two balls. And Dinesh Kartik manages to get himself stumped. And so suddenly it's two off one. I mean, it, and then it, it, you sort of feel suddenly... With a new batsman coming Yeah, with in. a new batter coming and, and that And the interesting point about that, you know, that it happened early in the over, didn't it, when Hardik was out. Of course, you know, the new batter's got a face and it was Ashwin. And then cool as you like, he just lets the ball go because it's another wide down the leg side. It takes a bit of coolness to do that as well, as it just stand there and not actually try to, you know, attempt to hit the ball. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of good premeditation there, wasn't there? The bowler, left arm spinner spearing it down the leg side because he thought Ashwin was going to back away and obviously try and smash it over the offside. But Ashwin, knowing the bowler probably would spear it in down the leg side, stood his ground and watched it go harmlessly by for a while. So Ashwin outthought the bowler there and then 
well, it's one to win off one. It's still tense, isn't it? It's still unbelievably tense, but calm as you like. He just strokes it back over mid-off yeah. for the winning run. That's where I'm thinking, of course, Ashwin, who likes uh, running the, the, the non-striker out, he's very happy to run out the non-striker backing up. <laughs> yes, um, I was going to be a man Well, I just yes. wonder whether Nawaz, the bowler, would just actually you know, go into bowl and then stop just to see where Kohli is and the, and the non-striker's end. I was actually watching Kohli as it happened, and I think Kohli was sort of making sure he was in his ground. And then, but of course, Ashwin hit it over mid-off. Away. So imagine a mancad <laughs> in the final ball of the India v Pakistan game with Ashwin on strike as well. The man who yeah. quite likes a mancad of his own. I mean, brilliant. But I, th- I suppose logic dictated in the end. I think. Uh, Mohammed uh, Nawaz thought better of it. Yeah. Well, anyway, he, it, it might. Cost he him. wouldn't have got him, would he? He wouldn't have got him because Kohli was was yeah. alert to the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And, a, and a brilliant, thrilling win, an unexpected win for India. Not in terms of the overall um, going into the game, but as the game panned out, really, that you sort of felt they had no right to win it. But you know, we've seen so many IPL matches that have finished like that. Well, not quite like that, but where teams have chased those sorts of targets under pressure and, and, and got up and, and won the game. So, you know, you've got players in there who are used to that sort of um, you know, scenario. But absolutely thrilling. I mean, it almost, you almost feel, uh, you know, it's all happened at the start, haven't you? A dramatic win for mm. New Zealand over Australia on the, on the opening game. And then second day, I mean, can it... Can it reach the heights that we've that we've seen uh, this weekend? I don't. You know, you'll, you'll be hard pressed to get a game as 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 feverish and as dramatic and as exciting as close as that match that we saw today. I suppose it. it you know, it's the further and the excitement and the vociferousness of. Pakistan and Indian fans in particular that, that make that uh, adrenaline sort of burn and buzz even more richly through the players' veins. What an atmosphere that was. I mean, you know, you could hear after the game had ended in, at the MCG, still there was this amazing sort of excited uh, sort of furore going on round the ground, people discussing it, cheering, shouting. Well, Coley couldn't uh, hear, could he? In his, his post-match press conference, I don't think he could hear the question and he, he almost couldn't hear himself speak. And, he, you know, he's mm. just come off the field. And the other thing is, well, he's just come off the field, you know, like 10 minutes beforehand after an inc- that incredible finish. I mean, he, he said he couldn't he couldn't put it into words. What it, I mean, not surprised as well. You know, your mind is like going 10 to the dozen and the noise in the ground. But but I think that uh, if you say could it has the tournament already peaked? Thing is, uh, the, these players, all these players in these various teams, are now so used to the tense moments in T Twenty matches, in IPL games or Big Bash or whatever. I mean, something like I think it's thirty percent of IPL games in the last couple of years have gone to the last over, mm. and even some about sort of ten percent have gone to the last. Four or two. So the players are getting more and more used to a never being out of a run chase, knowing that a couple of sixes can put you back in the game, and also knowing that you can leave it right to the end and still have a chance if you like. So more and more players aware of you know leaving not not leaving it too late, but kind of knowing how long you've got in a game and not kind of just panicking too soon 
And so I think we are going to get more games which are really tight. And obviously the teams are pretty well matched. I mean, already we've had unexpected results like Australia getting absolutely thumped by New Zealand. So the teams are well matched. Um, Pakistan playing above themselves, I thought, today with the bat, getting more runs than I thought they would. And then India obviously faltering and so on. So I think... I don't think we have seen the necessary the, the, the tournament peaking yet. I reckon there'll be a lot of tight games. Well, let's, let's hope so. Let's talk about Australia. SCG, opening game, uh, favourites, defending champions. Uh, I've written down here in my notes, don't write off the Kiwis. And we, you know, we, all, we sort mm. of always do, but I, I thought after doing our preview podcast the other day where we noted they were, I think, sixth favourites with the bookies I think you you sort of didn't really rate their chances particularly much we didn't talk about them a lot because they have been in quite a few finals of late the last two World Cup finals the last T20 final and they you know they are one of those they are one of that, that cliche they're sort of more they seem more than the sum of their parts I mean what an incredible win to come out and hammer Australia by 89 runs and the significance of that of course is not just the, the victory but what they've done for their net run rate and what they've done to Australia's uh, net run rate, and if England were to beat Australia at the MCG on Friday, you feel that might just be, be about it for Australia. It'd be very hard to see how they could qualify. They would need a favour from a couple of teams, uh, Sri Lanka, for example. They'd need the favour f- from them, and that's if Australia beat Sri Lanka on on Tuesday. I, I note that um, Australia have won eight of their last nine T20s at home to Sri Lanka and the, the last one they played Sri Lanka did win but it was a dead rubber I mean you'd, you'd expect them to win in Perth on on Tuesday Sri Lanka beating uh, Ireland today by nine wickets and they sort of hauled themselves up after a really disappointing defeat on the you know from uh, to Namibia in the first game so they've they've hauled themselves up you'd expect Australia to win that but if if Australia though were to lose to to England on Friday six days into the tournament that would just about be it for them a couple of things about the, the Australia-New Zealand game. Uh, I think Australia haven't been that clear in their uh, team selection over the last month. They've tried different permutations. They didn't always feel their strongest attack. They've tried different people at the top of the order. So I don't... And, you know, they're not really clear what is their best team, especially their best batting order. So, so that's one thing. And I don't think you want to be... In, in a tournament like this, where you've only got five games, you don't want to be still uncertain what your best sort of top four, top five is. And and secondly, I, I, Finn Allen, the New Zealand opener, just, just hit them uh, like an absolute express train. He just took their breath away with some astonishing hitting. I think Stark was a bit guilty of just pitching it out wantonly early on and Phil Allen, Finn, Finn Allen knew what to expect and, and took advantage. But, my God, what great striking. You know, he, he's got fantastic fast hands and big levers. And, obviously, he has a, a, a reputation. He really came to the fore in New Zealand short-format cricket a couple of years ago. A lot of people talking about him. But he hadn't really done it at international level. Uh, but 42 off 16 balls, that start for New Zealand just gave them so much momentum and just not the stuffing out of Australia that they couldn't bowl to him yeah. until until really it was almost the, the, the thing had got out, the cat had got out of the bag. 
Yeah, I think I sent you a text, sort of not quite the halfway point of Australia's innings. I think after about eight, was this game's over. Um, they got they got to look after their net run rate. But actually, I was actually tempted to send you that text after about ten overs of the New Zealand innings when they were close to a hundred for uh, one. You thought they're going to get a, they're going to get a big score here and they're going to close the Australians out. They're not going to they're not going to chase close on two hundred. I didn't think at, at, at the SCG. You mentioned Finn Allen. Actually, you pointed out Finn Allen the other evening in our our preview. Podcast. It was Devin Conway again, though, who who came up with a substantial things. Ninety-two not out from uh, fifty-eight balls. I mean, if you get two hundred for three, you're going to win pretty much most T Twenty matches. Not every. You're going to get beat every now and again, aren't you? On on, on the chase. But you get two hundred for three. That's that's just about it. Uh, you talk about the Australian batting lineup. It's, I mean, it, it's pretty strong, yours, isn't it? Warner, Finch, Marsh, Maxwell, Stoinis, David, Wade. And then you've got Cummins, Stark, Zampa, Hazelwood. I mean, it's it's a it's a pretty strong looking Australian yeah. side. This is you know this is the team that this not not specifically this team, but it's close to it that won the T Twenty World Cup last year. I, I, Aaron Finch to me is is he's struggling. He, he yes, gets he away with bit, it, yeah. but he's struggling. He's 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 one of those guys that worries a lot about his technique hmm. instead of just going out there and hitting the ball. Uh, obviously, David Warner's a proven. Uh, star in, in this format Mitchell Marsh can be a bit one dimensional he's impressive, powerful but can be suckered into miscues I'm not, I mean Glenn Maxwell's real enigma you know he plays ridiculously good innings and then plays a stupid shot another time and, and Marcus Stoinis I like him, when he plays in the big bash he looks devastating, opens a batting can knock up a hundred in, you know, sixty balls, but against international class bowlers, sometimes to me looks a bit suspect. And Tim David is unproven. He he, he has got a, a, an impressive reputation at domestic level, but again at international level, he hasn't really done it. So, yeah, of course they're they're an impressive outfit, but there I think there are weaknesses there, and I don't think each of them yet is quite sure of their role. Sometimes you know the top three are yes, but sort of four, five, six, they're not cemented into their roles quite. Well, when Australia won the T20 World Cup, uh, this time last year, or about 11 months ago, 11 and a half months ago, the only change in their side from yesterday was David out and Steve Smith in. Apart from that, it was it was the same side that beat New Zealand in the final. I mean, it does show you, doesn't it? it, it it's so much on the day. Someone gets away, as uh, Finn Allen did, you know, pressure occasion meets the pressure head on is successful you you know you get you get some momentum going in the game and you you can lose it's this whole point about in in in, in tournament cricket uh, sorry many game tournament cricket i'm talking about ipl big bash whatever you there are many many second chances uh, and in this competition there aren't very many at all. So, you know, you, you can have a you, know, you you have a series, Australia play New Zealand over five match T twenty series. You know, you can lose one, lose two, come back and win the series still three two. In this tournament, it, you really have to make it count on the day. Do you think maybe Australia lack a, a sort of stabilizing influence? You know, England have got Milan, uh, who plays just normal orthodox shots most of the time. Obviously New Zealand have got Kane Williamson, India have got Kohli and they've got Rohit Sharma who just play fairly orthodox cricket. Pakistan have got Babar Azam. Have Australia got that person? They're all a little bit uh, go for it. They're, they're, yeah, they're they very are. aggressive mm. players. I suppose Mitchell Marsh 
plays orthodox-ish sort of cricket, but most of the other top six are dashers, are daring players. Have they got someone there that they can rely on to just calm the situation? I'm not sure they have. Well, that's that's Smith, isn't it? I mean, that you know, but he's not in the side. He was in the side in you know last year uh, for the final. He wasn't required in the final. Uh, then he lost two wickets. And Marsh, you know, you talk about him being sort of steady influence. Seventy-seven off fifty balls. He hit six fours and four sixes in the final last year. It, sometimes it can happen the pressure of playing at home we saw it in 1992 World Cup that's a long way back and that's the 50 over World Cup and Australia just couldn't deal with the, the pressure of being the of the hosts anyway so they've, so they've got a you know, big game against uh, Sri Lanka on Tuesday and then if they come through that then they, they're up against England at the MCG another you know, very big crowd on Friday, what's going to be a, a rumbustious, another rumbustious occasion in Australia? You know, they 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 probably got to win the game, otherwise you know, they're they're not on their way home, but they'll be you know, just just about out of the tournament. And of course, we haven't mentioned England really yet. No. Have we? <laughs> We've overlooked the fact that they made a, a fairly decent job of polishing off Afghanistan. Certainly with the ball, they were excellent. Mark Wood. It's funny, wasn't it? Sam Curran got five for ten. Actually, it sounds brilliant, doesn't it? Five for ten. It was. It was. It was great. But and everyone's going, oh, you know, star of the ball, star with the ball, Sam Curran. Actually, if you analyse his wickets, <laughs> they're all caught in the deep, pretty much, mm. either from a short ball pulling or carving to the offside. Very good catching, by the way, mm. England. I mean, their fielding outstanding. Moen Ali, Adil Rashid took a difficult catch over his shoulder. Brilliant catch by Liam Livingston. Backward point. That, again, is going to be something that is really critical. Afghanistan's fielding was poor, uh, didn't lack agility, dropped a few chances. Mm. England snaffled everything and their bowling was excellent and potent. Batting, they just looked a little bit hesitant, do you think? And a little bit sort of, well, we'll just make sure we get over the line rather than thinking the bigger picture could be net run rate ultimately. Yeah, well, well, we'll find out with that, won't we? Whether you know, the net run rate issue there will be a a, a problem for them. Yeah, you know, they won by five wickets with eleven balls to spare, and that you know that in any T Twenty match that's quite a comfortable win, isn't it? But I suppose once you bowl the opposition out for one hundred and twelve, you think, can we knock these off in twelve overs and do something significant as far as our net run rate is concerned? The problem with net run rate, and we've we've mentioned it before, haven't we, yours? That it's not like it's not like goal difference in football, which is you know really clear. Uh, you, you don't quite know what you need to do at any given time until right at the end of the of the competition when you suddenly you get your target and you know if you score 160 in 16 overs you'll qualify for the semi-final. So it's it's you, there is that temptation to want to get over the line, win the game, and then you know there's the the Rashid Khan factor, Majib. I mean he was very steady, 22 off his four overs. Rashid Khan, 17 off his four overs. Bit of canny nabby bowling as well. Got rid of. Uh, ben Stokes. Uh, ben Stokes, too. another failure for Stokes, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, I, in fact, if you want to play Afghanistan uh, uh, somewhere, the Perth new ground is the place to play them because they rely on the skiddy lower pitches of the subcontinent, really, for their bowlers to be effective. And their batsmen don't like it up and sort of thing. You know, they don't like quick and bouncy. Not uh, many teams what, do, though, do they? Well, not many teams do, but uh, some teams are better at, uh, at working out a method Whereas uh, Afghanistan just looked a bit sort of shell shocked by facing the, the, the you know the, the kind of exercises of Mark Wood etc. and uh, their bowl is just not that effective when the ball bounces a bit from the likes of Majib or Rashid Khan the batsman can play them off the back foot with comfort the ball isn't skidding through and 
you know, hitting them on the ankle or gripping and turning a bit. So that is the place. The Perth is definitely the place to play Afghanistan. Yeah, well, it, it worked out okay for him. I mean, you, you, you talked about uh, you, uh, Sam Curran's five for ten, you know, lots of caught in the deep. I mean, that's sort of what you're trying to do, though, isn't it? On the, with those big square boundaries. It's been a feature of the competition, actually. Short balls into the pitch, fielders. Yeah, all I meant is when, when you get five for ten, you normally think it's going to be big swinging Yorkers and yeah. stumps everywhere and, you know, spectacular dismissals. But it was, no, I mean, he bowled to his field and to a plan very effectively. They weren't exactly... They're the sort of wickets which, if I was a bowler, I'd be sort of thinking, oh, God, you know, that was a bit lucky that it happened to go to that fielder. But maybe one that that's a reflection of how the game has changed now. And, you, you know, batsmen are so good that it's a it's a result if you make them hit the ball to a, to a fielder, which you've yeah. positioned exactly for that kind of shot. Whereas in the past, you were always trying to defeat the batsman, get the ball past them, either LBW, bowled or... You know, caught behind. Those were the sort of classic ways of getting wickets, even in one-day cricket. But now, a court cover, a court deep cover on the boundary is almost as legitimate. Yeah, def- definitely. Uh, pound for pound, what was the best catch in terms of quality of fielder and difficulty of catch? I'm going to... I mean, Butler was magnificent. Great leap, made, made a great photograph. Liam Livingston, excellent catch as well. That made a, a great photograph. But I actually thought Rashid's catch was... For a, for a player that in the past, I mean, I, I saw Rashid cost England a one-day series in South Africa with a bad drop. He, that, I, I thought that was an excellent catch from him, over his shoulder, then on the dive. That was really, really top class. And if England keep up that in the tournament, uh, you know, they'll 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 you know they'll be maintaining a very high benchmark, and it'll 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 will help them along the way. If you can take those, if you can snare those difficult chances and turn half chances into wickets, and make a huge difference. Well, it, it does, and he's really improved massively. As I remember Trevor Bayliss saying when he first took over for for England in One Day Cricket and all that, he he was saying, you know, Rashid is a bit of a weak link as a fielder. He certainly isn't anymore, and it just gets that reassurance of sometimes you will have. You know, one or two fielders in your 11, even at international level, you feel you might have to hide and therefore you need them at short fine leg or extra cover or something. But all those positions are are key positions. Mm. You obviously need very agile, sharp movers with bullet arms in the outfield. But around the ring, you get those half chances or those opportunities for run outs and things, which are just as important. So you can't really, there there isn't a, a slot, there isn't a spot on the field now where you can hide anybody and, and Rashid doesn't need hiding now because he is an excellent fielder yeah well it was a, it was a really fine catch so uh, it's a strange game really in, in Perth I mean the other thing as well you, you saw the atmosphere at Sydney you saw the atmosphere today in in, in Melbourne and there were 8,000 people rattling around in that sort of 50,000 plus seater stadium in Perth it must have been sort of quite a sort of I don't know slightly anticlimactic atmosphere you know the first match of the World Cup um, and you, you know, you're up against an opponent who you expected to beat as well. And England, well, they didn't they didn't quite stagger over the line. I don't think victory was ever in doubt when they were batting, uh, but they probably didn't win quite as convincingly as they would have hoped, um, expected, or liked. But now they move on to the MCG, so Ireland, who they <laughs> they've lost to before in a, in a World Cup. I was there one of the I mean, one of the days that you'll never Bangalore, forget. Bangalore, yeah, yeah. I Bangalore. was there as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely incredible days cricket. Uh, you know, one of those days that sort of will live with you for Kevin O'Brien hundred, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, but and Andrew are... Strauss. I think Andrew Strauss got the the record score for an England one day player or close to it in that game and was on the losing side. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, you'd expect England to beat Ireland, wouldn't you? I mean, Ireland heavily yeah. beaten by uh, Sri Lanka. But, you know, you know, there's been... I mean, England lost to Ireland in Southampton in a one-day match. So, anyway, they just have to... It, for England, as far as England can say, they just have to make sure, don't they? That you, know, you cannot afford any slip-ups. You certainly can't afford a slip in a game like that. So they've got Ireland and then on Wednesday at the MCG and then Australia uh, on Friday. Uh, South Africa joined the tournament uh, on Monday, my dark horses I think I I've just I know on our preview podcast I said Australia are going to win I saw that was like slightly tongue-in-cheek because I'm you know because last two year we wrote them off completely didn't we I, I did anyway and they went on to win the tournament so I got to so you big them up um, but <laughs> I think my my new fate I got new favorites after one weekend of the tournament and they were playing today at the MCG but it's so unpredictable uh, you know anything can happen but anyway South Africa joining against Zimbabwe tomorrow they're my dark horses for the competition they'll probably lose to Zimbabwe now I've tipped them um, but let, let's hope the excitement this week uh, matches some of the excitement we've had over the weekend yours absolutely and we'll be back to review England's next match which as you say is on Wednesday at the MCG against Ireland so we'll be back then to review that and hopefully continue the excitement thanks for listening <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.